And now, ladies and gentlemen, please fasten your seatbelts. Welcome to PreneurCast. Yeah, business cards being swapped, beers being drunk. Can I say a nasty word? Can I say procrastination? With Pete Williams and Don Gosher. How well did that go down? We'll talk about that entire thing in a very another rant and soapbox episode if you want to. Visit us online at PreneurMarketing.com. Hey there, Pete here. Thank you so much for listening to the PreneurCast Marketing Podcast. Dom and I have loved doing the show over the past three years, and we'll be back very, very shortly with brand new interviews and episodes for you to listen to. But until then, during our quick break, we've got some of the best of the best episodes for you here. And today's replay is exactly that. One of the better episodes It was, in fact, episode 50 in the first year of us doing the show. It's called Marketing Myths and Marketing Truths. And in the episode, we talk about things people tell you to do or that you think you should do just because someone else is doing it and why they are not necessarily the right things for you. You see, so many marketers out there will get an email or see a promotion or read some sales copy and think, that's great, I'll implement it, swipe and deploy it in my own business. But without understanding the strategy behind it and the reason why, it might not be getting you the results you need for your business. So in this episode, Dom and I go deep on that topic. I hope you enjoy it, even if it is your second time round. No doubt it will help give you some clarity about some of the things you're doing in your businesses right now. Enjoy, and we'll speak to you very shortly on some brand new live episodes of PreneurCast Marketing Podcast. Well, I just wanted to talk uh, and, and have a, a conversation, I guess, about the topic of, of marketing myths. And I think there's so many people out there, you know, every second person's a, a, a social media expert or um, information marketer and and things like that, which I was starting to grind on me a little bit. But, you know, again, that's not the soapbox for this episode. It can be later in the, in the series or the show. But, um, you know, everyone's sort of screaming certain must-dos and, and certain marketing doctrine and, and you know, non-negotiables, if you will. And I just think a lot of that is, is misguided without, again, the word that I seem to love on this show so much is a frame and context. Um, you know, the, the one I mentioned at the end of last week's show, which is a great place to start, is that every business needs a website. You know, you hear that so much being screamed and yelled and, you know, every man and their dog, you know, even your taxi driver, when you mention that you're a business owner, do you have a website? You have to have a website. And I really think that is a very misguided uh, approach to, to business and marketing advice. I, I can't agree more. I, I mean, it's, it's interestingly, in, in where, I, where I'm living right now, in a, a small fishing village in coastal Spain, that if I was to actually, I've got the inverse situation uh, where the internet isn't prevalent. I don't have everybody around me as a social media expert. I, I do have a few of them whose apparently their cousin is, but there you go. Um, but here, the concept of having a website is pretty alien. But out in normal, normal, normal is a bad word, but out in everyday culture, you know, the, the circles that we operate in, absolutely. First thing is, first thing is, first question: Have you got a website? You need a website. You must have a website. But it's not true, is it? No, I don't, I don't think it is. I think for a lot of businesses, it does make sense. But there's plenty of companies and businesses out there which, you know, all a website can ever be is just a glorified brochure to make 
the wife at the country club feel special when they show the really pretty flash designed website. And, you know, if you need to invest in that to, to, to keep the wife happy and the, the wife at bay so she's not sort of embarrassed by the ugly direct response marketing that you're doing that actually works when she talks about your business at the country club, <laughs> then so be it. Invest that money. Consider that an investment in peace and quiet and support. Um, so there's justification there to have a, a very flash-driven brochure-based website. But for most companies, you know, it comes back to the preneur hierarchy episode that we uh, touched on uh, and, and continue to bring up in the show is that you think about it, where you, you need to market your business primarily to start with and in most cases um, plenty of businesses that I've dealt with and consulted with and spoken to don't even have the resources or the need to really maximize the first level of the hierarchy uh, which is fundamentally for when it comes to lead generation is people out there searching for a solution to the problem that you solve. Now, a lot of businesses these days, as we've spoken about, their marketplace and their target market, they go to Google when they're trying to search for a solution to a problem they have. So they go to Google and they're looking in the search results. And in, in, if that's your market, then you absolutely have to have a website. You need to be looking at doing AdWords and SEO um, beyond just having a website. Obviously, you need to be actually generating the marketing activity you need to, to, to get your website in front of those eyeballs. And in that circumstance, having a website is important. But there's plenty of businesses where that's just not relevant because their customers and their prospects and their targets aren't going to Google to search for the solution. In some instances, Yellow Pages still works extremely well. If you're targeting a certain age demographic who aren't au fait with Google and iPads and, and your smartphones and all that sort of stuff, that demographic is still going to the yellow pages. So if you're dealing with that sort of housewife, elderly sort of marketplace, yellow pages is still worth a consideration. You shouldn't just throw that away. Um, if you're a restaurant, for example, you know having actual your own personal website is probably one of the last things I would have as part of my digital marketing campaign setup checklist. I'd be looking at things like making sure you have all your menus and your details on things like Urban Spoon and you know Yelp and all these online platforms that have a better ranking engine than you'll ever have for your own business and your own sort of niche. You know, steakhouse in Coburg. You know that these Yelps and the uh, Urban Spoons and all this sort of stuff. Um, you know the the meal um, type. You know comparison shopping sites or things like that are going to be better engines and better time well spent cultivating an audience and maximizing your listing there. Google Maps, again, is a, a place you'd, I would put beyond putting up your own website because you know that's where people are going to go more so than actually searching for your own individual name. And trying to rank for steak restaurant in San Francisco is going to be near impossible because if you look at the first couple of pages of the results, in most instances, they're flooded by these, um, well, I'm trying to think, I can't think of the word, but the the, Re- the re- recommendation sites. There you go. That, that's that's probably a good example. So it's it's horses for courses, and it's you know really thinking through and and doing that triage stuff that we've spoken about again on the show. We're saying, well, hang on, is it the best place to start? And and not listening to everyone saying you have to have a website, and then suddenly turning around and getting a website because that's what people are saying to you. You have to understand the justification of why you need that website. You need to understand the why first before you actually do anything. Absolutely. And and to, to build on that, 
because and, and something so I, I finally found a great in what you were saying. I finally found a great analogy for a problem that I see so many times. You and I both do consulting work. We both work together with our mastermind group, and we work independently consulting with people for online business and online promotion. Um, and the, one of the most common things that both you and I see is that that it's a thing I call a box ticker. And that is somebody who's been told to do something, so they go away and do it and tick a box. Yeah. And and the analogy that I have for the problem that I see, the most common problem that you and I both see is the yellow pages ad. If you <laughs> if if you go through the, the triage, and we'll talk about this in a minute, but if you go through the triage and you you go to come to the conclusion that for your marketplace, for the people you want to reach, etc. Cetera, etc., cetera, that you're you need a website or you want to build a website as a, as an additional resource for your marketing evaluate it against the following if you were putting a yellow pages ad in if you were paying to have a yellow pages ad which isn't that expensive and in most cases it's not even as expensive as having a website built but if you were doing that would you well what would you put in your yellow pages ad would you for example say where you were if you were a bricks and mortar business uh, would you for example put your phone number in big letters if you wanted a phone call or would you put some other call to action or, or direct response item in that advert and the answer is yes you would you put the name of your company you put what you did or in some way classify make sure you were classified or, or, or categorized in the right place and you would absolutely put some method of contact you absolutely would not take out even a tiny one-line ad in the yellow pages without putting your phone number on it right absolutely so why on earth do people build websites where they want people to call them and the phone number isn't visible Folks, really, seriously, you know, and and this is this is the the corollary to what we're talking about. N not everybody needs a website, and those examples you gave, a Google Places listing is free, and in most cases will outrank a website. It will appear in a big box with a map on it, with a big pin on it, saying, "Hey, I'm here." And I've had far more success with Google Places listings for local businesses than I have for websites because you're right. Things like Urban Spoon for, for restaurant listings or the even Yellow Pages. Yellow Pages are, are quite good at ranking for local local search terms around the world. And, and if you're a one-man band or a small bricks and mortar business and you're in a local environment and you want to rank in the search engines, that's a lot of work to even get on that front page. Whereas a free Google Places listing, if it's done right will rank you. Um, but whatever it is that ranks or however people find that thing that it is, make sure it does the job. You know, it's not just about making sure that you've picked the right vehicle or the right marketing tool, but that it actually does the job. And this is one of the things that, you know, that we talk about quite a lot is, is not just picking the right thing, but using it well as well. Because a well-placed Google Places or Google Maps listing as I said, is far more of can can be far more effective than a three thousand dollar website. Yeah, exactly right. So it's that understanding of the why, and then figuring out once you know the why, is it the best way to get that outcome? You know, is it the best way to get the why? Is what that was originally suggested. You know, someone says get a website. You understand why? Well, it's so you can get online and get traffic from online sources. Okay, you understand that's the outcome of why they suggested that. 
Now, is that realistically having the knowledge from listening to the Preneurcast on a regular basis and reading the newsletters and all that sort of stuff? Is that the best actual path to market to get that outcome? Because in so many instances, it's actually not really. Um, and people are trying to do the right thing by giving you advice, uh, and it's going to be generic advice because in most cases on Twitter and Facebook and YouTube videos and all that sort of stuff, they have to be generic because when it comes to technical advice, they can't be specific. It's impossible to be specific to, for their entire audience when they're trying to give tactical advice. And that's why I guess we've taken a bit more of a, a strategy. That is a word. I'm going to make it a word. <laughs> a more of a strategy type play with the preneur cast is sort of trying to give you that um, tactical stuff, but giving the tactical stuff and the tools to actually um, ensure that the tactics are implemented in the right context and the right frame is what it's all about. Uh, so it's, it's, it is a really important point. Yeah, the, the actual implementation of something is so specific to you and your business and your situation that the, the best thing you can do is start with the strategy and make sure the strategy is solid because you can find a an outsourcer or a consultant to give you that specifics as long as you feed the right information in. And and really, you are the one that knows that and can find it out. So strategy is where we will always come back to, I, I, yeah. I would say, because it's the best thing we, as generalists who don't know you specifically, can give you in a podcast. Yeah, and that's why we have the mastermind groups for people who want to sort of take that next step and get a bit more granular and a bit more one-on-one tactical, we have those, you know, opportunities out there. But, you know, another, you know, great marketing myth is, you know, every sale's a good sale. Ooh. You know, so many people sort of, you know, get blindsided or have the, you know, the blinkers on if you're looking at the trotting um, type analogy. As soon as they see a purchase order in front of them, they start thinking all they see is the dollars. The, the, the ink turns green almost if you're in America and you get that greenback sort of, a, uh, you know, goggles on. And, you know, for a lot of businesses, particularly when you're starting out, it's, it, it is obvious and it makes it does make sense that any sale is a good sale when you're starting out um, because, you know, any revenue helps you get you closer to, to, to the goal of keeping the doors open next week and, and completely understand that. But at some point I think, you know, businesses have to make that conscious decision to start slowly uh, migrating from any sales a good sale to only a sale that meets my criteria is a good sale, and it, it can't. It has to be a gradual thing. You have to start. You know, there's a, a great, um, you know, strategy uh, piece of advice out there, which is every year you should increase your prices by five percent or increase your uh, target market up by five, or move your target market up by five percent. And fire your bottom 5% clients every year, just continually lifting the bar, that, that bottom rung people have to jump over. You know, if you're a, uh, a consultant in a certain sort of space and you say the minimum uh, investment is five grand or if, you know, you're, you're, you're doing something where they have to, you're, you're supporting or controlling that investment, you know, you have to spend five grand a month on this service before I'm going to take you on as a client. Uh, and then every, every year you go, next year it's 6000 and the year after that, it's 7000 Because if you really analyze your business, for most people, 80% of the problems come from 20% of the clients, and generally, it's that bottom 20%. You know, everyone knows the 80-20 rule, and it is true, but in most cases, 
and there's obviously exceptions, and this is a generalization, I know, but for most businesses, it's the bottom 20% of clients that cause the 80% of problems because they are they're just they're stretching themselves to use your service in most examples. So they want to get every little last you know piece of blood from the stone because they're you know struggling themselves to be able to use your service. If they're a profitable business, if they're a profitable client, if they're a wealthy client, you know they're going to be spending the they're going to be that higher end client who's going to spend more money and 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 understand uh, what's what's expected more and, and not sort of trying to get blood from a stone. So you know not every sale is a good sale and and that has to change as your business grows. Yeah, and the example you gave of of the, the the top end and the bottom end clients, I think, is an easier one in a way to see because it's a great example from the four hour work week. Tim Ferriss talks about exactly that situation where he basically fired. I think he actually fired eighty percent of his clients um, <laughs> to to get the top twenty percent that were paying him the eighty percent of his profits. You know, the the eighty twenty rule was there again. Uh, and, and because his C-class clients or whatever, however you want to label these people, were, were draining his resources and were taking support time and personal interactions from him, et cetera, et cetera. You know, and it's not always about how much they pay. It's a, sometimes it's about how easy it is to deal with them. So it's easier looking at it from a client point of view, but it maps it maps directly to any to, to just anything. Any sale is not a good sale. Sometimes you might be, if you're again a bricks and mortar and you're selling product. You, you might you might go all Walmart on it, and you might want to 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 sell sell a lot of product with a small margin, but that might not be the good thing. You know, there's a lot of infrastructure issues with doing that. Walmart can do it because they're massive, but you know, maybe you want to think, look at your product line and think, well, there are some products that I make fifty percent profit on. Why don't I try and sell more of those, for example? Yeah, uh, yeah. You, I, you're absolutely right. So I, I, I yeah. So, but any sales are good sales. One of the, I think one of the oldest marketing myths. It's not a very, it's not even a recent one, is it? It's, well, it's pretty old. But there's 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 lots of really new ones that you talked about. You know, you, you alluded to earlier. So uh, come on, let's go all high tech on the world. What else have we got that's a that's that's being bandied oh. around? I was I was actually going to go very uh, analog. Oh, I was going to go high tech. Go on then. Go I was going to talk about and. Knowing me, I, 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 I say this a lot, so there's a fair chance I probably said it on one of the early episodes of the show, but just because your big competitor is doing something doesn't mean you should do it as well. Ooh. And I see so many businesses who see a competitor implement some sort of marketing strategy or marketing campaign and people start thinking, that's why I should do it. Um, you know, and you can you can be very very you know silly with this and saying just because your competitor puts an A-frame out the front of their store doesn't mean you should do that, and and I, that's a very sort of silly example. But that's how serious I am with this. You know, there's an example that I I talk about in my in my first book, which is the um, twenty five words or less questions, which I, I may have used this example in another way on the show, but it, it's a serious point in that. You know, so many companies out there use the 25 words or less contests um, to sort of, you know, as an excuse for the um, response mechanism for that contest. You know, you see plenty of people saying, you know, just SMS or text in the barcode or, you know, fill out your name and address to actually, um, you know, enter this contest and you win a car or a 
free pack of minties or whatever it might be. But so many companies are, are also, as part of this response mechanism, mechanism, sorry, requiring people to actually do a 25 words or less type entry. You know, sort of like in 25 words or less, tell us, blah, blah, blah. Because everyone's sort of seen those, right? Yeah. And, you know, if you look at the science behind those 25 words or less contests, it comes back to Cialdini's influence factor of commitment and consistency. If you can get someone to not only mentally think of this, but then take the physical act of making it an out-of-body experience by writing it down along the lines of 25 words or less, why I love Safeway supermarkets, 25 words or less, why I really enjoy drinking Coca-Cola. And that way, when you're actually physically thinking it and then physically writing it out, it's really that commitment. You made that verbal commitment, that external commitment to the world of why I like Coca-Cola. So next time you actually go to a supermarket, you actually buy Coke because you will remember why you verbalized or wrote why you like Coca-Cola. And that's the science behind it. But you see so many businesses starting when they want to run a contest go, oh, yeah, look, I'm going to run a 25 words or less contest as the response mechanism because Joe Blow did it, this other company did it, our competitor did it, whoever did it, Google did it, whatever it might be. And they do the most obscure question with no benefit at all. You know, they ask a question, I remember one, and the example I use in my book, and in a lot of places, is an example of where uh, Angus and Robertson Bookstore, which was a bricks and mortar bookstore chain here in Australia, ran a contest um, where you could win a signed autographed cricket bat by Shane Warne, who was a uh, uh, one of the, the best cricket players ever. And the question was, what do you love about Shane Warne in 25 words or less? And to me, it was like, well, hang on, Angus and Robertson, that is not helping your brand on any level whatsoever. And if you read the terms and conditions, it was a game of chance anyway. They weren't actually reading those responses to determine who should win the bat. It was just going to be a random chance. And they just used that as a response mechanism. And if you look at that and break it down, there's two really big issues with that. One is that anytime you ask for more than a name and an email address, it reduces response rate. That's just yeah. a direct response rule. That was that was the immediate thing in my head. As soon as you said that, I was like, but that's a barrier. <laughs> yeah. So as soon as you do a 25 words or less um, requirement as part of the response mechanism, it's going to reduce your response rate anyway. That's just a given. And in a lot of circumstances, that's fine if you're trying to actually you know, get a targeted group of people and reinforce the commitment and consistency methodology. But they didn't do that in, the, in that. In their 25 words or less contest, there was no commitment and consistency for the brand who were putting up the money for the contest. They were doing commitment and consistency of why they loved a sports hero. There's no value in that for anybody. So there was two big downsides that these guys did when they implemented this. And I guarantee you, it was a middle-level marketing manager who was given the, the role to do the contest and thought, hey, I've seen 25 words or less contests run by Reader's Digest, by you know Coca-Cola, by Ford Motor Company, by whoever it might be, and we'll just do the same thing, but didn't think through the science behind it and the why behind it. You know, Ford Motor Company does these quite regularly, and a lot of um, car manufacturers do, and it's all about what do you love about driving a Ford? What is it that, you know, do you love about the particular car and people what do you love about using canon photo photography cameras whatever it might be because it gets you to start thinking that commitment and consistency of why you do it and even if someone actually this is a sad and negative side about the cialdini factors 
even if someone doesn't actually love a cannon camera right now but wants to enter the contest to win one, they will start making up in their own mind what they think is a good enough reason of why they should love Canon, and they'll write that down. And unfortunately, that actually still affects the person on a subconscious level. So when they go to buy their next camera in six months or two years' time, they'll remember only minutely but to a certain extent why they love Canon, and that will play in their decision-making process. And it's a, uh, it, that's the power, be it positive or negative, depending on how you want to look at it. That's the power of the influence factors that Cialdini talks about in his book. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I actually, I know people, you know, in the past have done who've gone gone in for those. You know, when I was younger, and, and it was a very popular thing uh, at one point in the UK for people to do that. And I remember actually people scouring the marketing material for the product to find a feature that they could then key off of to write those twenty five words. So it's as you say, the Cialdini thing is working. They're now. They're now if actually investigating a product that they previously knew not so much about, they now know more about it, so they're more committed to that product. But throughout what you were saying, I, I, all I could think was box ticking. It's box ticking again. It's people looking at somebody else doing something, going and making a facsimile, and I, I use facsimile or copy because it's – their 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 inter, in, interpretation of what they're seeing, without the frame and the context, yeah, absolutely, that's exactly what it is. They're not so so in the case of the twenty five words or less. I, to be honest with you, before I before I knew you, I I didn't know that's what the twenty five words or less was actually doing. I was unaware. Well, before I knew you, before I read the Cialdini book, you know. You are, let, let, let's be honest about this. You were unaware about a lot of things before you met me, before, even, even beyond business. <laughs> Why, thank you, sir. <laughs> right back at ya. Um, seriously, the, the Cialdini book is, was, was written originally for those reasons. It was to educate people, to tell them why these things have been done. But but this box ticking, this go is what we're it's really marketing myths is what we're talking about. We're talking about box ticking. We're talking about doing something because somebody else did it or because you've been told to do it without understanding the true frame and context of it, without understanding the strategy of it, and therefore not being able to implement it properly for your business. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Uh, so so whether it's a modern day thing like everybody needs a website. Uh, or, or any sale is a good sale, or as you say, the twenty-five words or less. You know, run a competition. You know, as you say, that 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 cricket example was great. You know, it's like I benefited the cricket guy. <laughs> exactly right. He was, you know, if if anyone knows the Shane one story, he was doing extremely well himself, and didn't need people to, to reinforce why they liked him, mm. especially the ladies. But the people that did it obviously didn't understand what the whole purpose of the contest was for. Missed the point and probably reduced their reduced what their real goal was. If their real goal was to either market themselves or to get a list of people to get a mailing list or whatever, by putting that extra step in that that was giving them no value, then they were actually putting a barrier. You know, in the modern day technology, you know, in the in the late nineties and early two thousands, the equivalent of that was the splash screen on the website. 
you know? <laughs> oh, he's got a splash screen. It's great. Look, it moves. It's got animation. It's got a spinning globe. His logo zooms in from the sides. Yeah, okay. I can't tell you how many times I clicked off those websites. Like, I don't want to see this. I've seen it. I saw, oh, it this, I saw it this morning. I've come back to your website. I'm seeing it again. It's a barrier to entry. If your goal is to show me what a great animator you are, great. Stick a splash screen on your website. But unless you're selling animation services, get it off. You know, let me get to the thing that is actually going to give your business a benefit. And that's mm. it's just, these are all examples of the same thing, really, aren't they? I, absolutely. I think that the lesson to take away from all of this is just if you are at a, a seminar or listen to a podcast like this or reading a book is when they tell you to do something with conviction, just take a moment and go, not a problem at all. There's got to be value in here on some level. But where does that apply to my business? And use something like the printer hierarchy or the seven levers or even the marketing symphony that we spoke about in one of our very first shows here on Preneurcast, and just use that as the filter to think, hang on, how is it that I best get the most value out of doing this website, out of doing this toll-free phone number, out of doing this direct mail piece, out of doing the A-frame at the front of my store, whatever it might be. When anyone sort of gives you some marketing advice, just think about the why behind it and the context and go, okay, hang on, how can I get the best value out of this? Because you know there is some truth in it. If it's, if it's a marketing truth or a marketing statement said with conviction, there's got to be some weight behind it. But then you just got to work out how and where does that potentially apply to your business? Where in the actual implementation um, orders or order list or checklist does it fit? Because it might not be number one. Absolutely. And and, and again, I mean, we, we did a whole show on marketing filters. I'll pop a link in the show notes to it um, about looking at whatever you're looking at through uh, through through a framework that, that gives you an idea of what it is you're trying to achieve, and then, and, and my example is is I'll come back to websites as an example of this. Make sure that whatever, you, however you implement, if you decide it's going to benefit you within that framework or within whatever your goal is, you know whatever the strategy is that you're after. If that tactic is going to work, then make sure that you do. The, the the most important things make sure they're done so with the example of the website literally i have seen i've had clients and i have seen more examples than this than, than i care to mention not just with clients but out there in the you know in the open open marketplace where they've got say a 20 or 30 page website or they've got uh, some some feature of their website they've spent money on this website you know, they've, they've spent money on it for whatever reason. And the two classic examples I have are they've got a massive website, but their phone number isn't visible or is buried. And they actually, their goal of their company, their sales goal was to get phone calls. So that website could actually be replaced with a single screen with a big phone number on it and a logo and saying, we do this. Yes, you found us. Ring us now. And they'd get more, literally, they'd get more results. And the other example, which is far, far, far worse, was a large unnamed company uh, who had a new website. Lovely, brilliant, fantastic, really good. Actually, awesome bit of interactive media, really good. Their goal, uh, to get people who were searching for a particular keyword on Google to see this website. They spent a lot of money on this website. What they hadn't done is make sure that Google had seen it. 
All flash, no index, no follow. It wasn't even, no, honestly. I mean, I'm, I'm not, and, and the, by the way, everything that Pete just said, really technical stuff, actually, none of that was relevant. It literally, it wasn't, it, it, Google couldn't read the website, and those are all reasons that Pete just mentioned, why Google can't read your website, which is, you know, a more technical thing that, we, you know, when you get down to the low level of it. At the top of the top of the top level, in order for somebody to type something into Google and for your website to appear in Google, Google must first actually f- see it. It must be aware of it. It's something that a lot of people don't know about. It's a bit technical, but it, it's a very important step in the process, which most people are unaware of. And this particular website literally had never been seen by Google. So there was literally no words whatsoever. You couldn't even type the actual full web address into Google and get a result. <laughs> so make sure that yeah. whatever tactic you're implementing, you you get the basics. <laughs> so, so hang on, hang on. So you're telling me they listened to that taxi driver, took the advice, and have a website? Yeah. So, so, so technically they did the right thing. They They... They have a website. They they they, 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 the t- they ticked the, the box. They, they ticked the box. box. The, the taxi driver says get a website, so they got a website. But the important tactical element for them, which was Google listing, forget search engine stuff. Forget all that complicated stuff that other people are trying to teach you and sell you through various means. I mean, seriously, this is the most fundamental part of it, and they missed it. Just like the business that has a website and Google has seen it, and people do visit it. But their phone number isn't visible. It doesn't matter what level of technology or technical whateverness, down at the bottom of it, there's always going to be something that is core to your goal. Yeah. You, when Absolutely. you when you when we do the seven levers, you know, when we look at a business, we use the seven levers for, for our, our strategy, our triage, we assess our business against our seven levers at, of business and we look down and we look at the traffic and we look at the opt-ins and the conversions and we look at each level. And at each level, we want something to happen. And the first thing that we say, and you know, in our mastermind group, we walk people through it and we say, okay, what is traffic? What, what, is, what, what is traffic to this business? Is it somebody walking through the door? Is it, uh, you know, is it a human being walking past? Is it a phone call? Is it a website visit? What is traffic to you? And then the next thing is, what is an opt-in? And literally, we see this all the time, that businesses just are, are so busy ticking boxes that they, and listening to these marketing myths or listening to the taxi driver or whatever you want to call it, we see this. And they're so busy doing it and, and feel the great level of achievement because it, it looks pretty or it spins or whatever it might be. But they miss minor details like, their actual goal was get a phone call and the phone number isn't the biggest thing on the page or there isn't a call to action telling people to actually use the phone number and what for and so on. And I guess that's what we're, what we're about here really, isn't it? That's exactly right. That's what it's all about. So um, we're, we're about, we're about on time on that one, mate. But I, 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 I think that was a really important thing to go through. I think that, as you say, these things are, are are out there. These myths are out there. People talk to people and people go to conferences and they see the guy at the front and he's a great speaker and he's really animated and he's got this great thing and he's got great evidence that it works and proof and case studies. Or you can read a website, there's testimonials. But I think I think listening, going back and, and looking at that marketing filters, listening to the marketing filters show will probably help people 
if they haven't already. Because if you don't filter what you're listening to, and you just go along, you tick a box and say, yeah, okay, somebody said I need a website, I've got a website, you're probably going to be disappointed. But not agree more, my friend. And that's it. You just, it's all about just thinking through things before you do it and just don't taking, you know, if, if as your mother said, if your best friend jumps off the bridge, would you, would you follow him? Uh, no, you wouldn't. you think it through first. That's what people don't often do in, in their business and their marketing. True. You've been enjoying another fine episode of PreneurCast with Pete Williams and Dom Gocher. Make sure to hang out with the boys online at www.preneurmarketing.com or drop them a line via preneurcast at preneurgroup.com.